Welcome to the Future Lab, the podcast where we talk with and about the people, companies, and ideas building the future. From startup founders building the next unicorn to someone leading innovation at a Fortune 500 company, experts in emerging technologies, or people creating the cities of tomorrow. I'm your host, Chris Berry, and in each episode, we talk with innovators and creators to learn what they're working on and how they're doing it. The one thing they all have in common are building the future. Thanks for listening to the Future Lab. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Future Lab, Ohio's technology podcast. Today we're talking with Max Brickman, who is the managing director of Heartland Ventures. Max is a forward-thinking venture capitalist with a passion for expanding technological innovation into smaller, underrepresented Heartland communities. In line with this passion and commitment, Max founded Heartland Ventures to enhance Silicon Valley startups' access to this market. With offices in San Francisco, Ohio, and Indiana, Heartland Ventures connects coastal startups to their largest customers within the recently flourishing and often overlooked Heartland market. Max serves on several regional boards designed to increase per capita income and entrepreneurial activity. Max, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's start with Heartland Ventures. What is it? Tell tell um, listeners what you're up to. It's a little newer to Ohio, but it's something that you've been building and working on for a number of years. So what is Heartland Ventures? What are you working on? Yeah, no, we're excited to be in Ohio. Uh, so we're a, a venture capital fund. So we're you know investing in early stage technology. I'm sure your your listeners are are, are familiar with the, with the model. Um, but what what makes us a little bit different is that all of our investors, you know, in our fund. Are our business owners? So they're typically business owners of you know middle market, a lot of times family businesses, a lot of manufacturing companies, logistics companies that are invested in our fund. And what that allows us to do is any technology we look to invest in, we can effectively connect the technology to our investors, the the customers in the in this region, to be able to validate the tech and then uh, provide customer introductions. So really, where we want to be is you know, aggregating 70 or 80, uh, you know, three or $400 million businesses in, the, in, in this region and make that as easily accessible to early stage startups that are trying to break into that space. That seems a, an interesting model. How did it, how did you come up across that? And when you originally were starting, has it shifted over time? So, you know, when, when you started Heartland Ventures, has that always been the thesis and the model? Um, if no, how has that shifted? And I guess if yes, where did that original idea come from? It's certainly developed over the last couple of years. I, I started the firm about four years ago in, in South Bend. Um, so it's a, in Indiana. So a you know, city of 100,000 people and moved there because uh, my my girlfriend now, now wife was going to grad school there. And uh, didn't know anyone in the city, and, and the people that I kept meeting there were, you know, d- different than you know. If you're meeting people out in the Bay Area that are starting, you know, new early stage companies, they were owners of you know, fifth generation family businesses, so running these incredible companies. But you know, there weren't they weren't tech companies. They were maybe you know manufacturing RVs or you know doing trucking or logistics. And as I was talking to them, they you know, are, are so you know, heads down into their business, but they're wanting to see new technology. They're wanting to see what's happening out in the Bay Area, out, out in, in different tech hubs and coming out of Columbus, coming out of different areas across the country that could be applicable for them, that, that could be helpful for them. Uh, but there's not a ton of communication that happens between the two. 
you know, there, there's sort of these silos of you have, you know, the manufacturing sector, you have the, the tech sectors, and, and there there's not a, not a lot of overlap. So really founded the the firm to to bridge the two, uh, to be able to help startups get access to these business owners and in, in you know secondary or tertiary markets, and, and but also help the business owners get access to the early stage tech that could help their 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 business. Hmm. So it really started as almost a, a bit of a matchmaking platform. And what what led you to Columbus? Because as you mentioned, the the idea where you're from, born in South Bend, um, but you in the past couple of years have have made Columbus now your home. And and as I read in the intro, um, offices in San Francisco, Ohio, and Indiana. But for for you, why Columbus? Yeah, we we looked at at expansion cities uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and looked at fifteen different markets around the Midwest. You know, I, I really and neither did my wife. We we didn't know anyone in Columbus. So we looked at 15 markets almost as like a, you know, our, our own little, uh, you know, site selection and went to Pittsburgh, you know, Nashville, Louisville, Ann Arbor, um, you know, Indianapolis, Detroit, and, and felt that Columbus was the perfect, um, the perfect spot for us. It's, uh, uh, you know, an incredibly collaborative city, a lot of family businesses that are relevant to what we're doing very much a city on the rise. Uh, and, and, uh, already an understanding of technology because of drive and because of a lot of the other the other funds here that have spurred a lot of uh, you know early startup successes that sort of exposed the rest of the region to the op- to the the potential that exists in in venture capital and, and the startup space whereas in South Bend it, it's much newer there where we're explaining venture capital just as much as we are our model and here it's a, a bit different uh, so we were incredibly excited when we came here that we, we met people that that already you know were, were showing us around the city, introducing us to people, and and just made us feel right at home. So came here again without knowing too many people and moved to the short north and and have loved it ever since. That's awesome to hear. Um, you had mentioned well a couple times. You mentioned things like manufacturing industries like that. Um, you also mentioned like family offices. Those aren't necessarily manufacturing. It's not something I think people naturally think of, of technology and leading innovation. Um, it, that's obviously when, when you start to get into it, there's a incredible amounts of innovation and, and tech that are uh, deployed in a lot of manufacturing, but it's not the first place you would think, right? Um, so what, what has that been like of connecting Silicon Valley on the one side, which is, you know, ton of leading technologists, you know, they're moving fast, they're breaking things. And then in places like Indiana, Ohio, the Midwest, where uh, it might be a family-owned business that hasn't really ever connected with that world of Silicon Valley and tech before. So what what is the, I guess, and maybe this is part of your journey, but how has it been connecting those two? And what are some things that really stand out that you've learned? I don't think this would have worked 10, 15 years ago. I think what we're seeing now is in, in a lot of these, particularly family businesses, you're seeing the next generation coming in and, and wanting to kind of make their mark in the company. So you have you know, people that, that grew up with technology, that, that understand technology, but also grew up with their family business, whether it's you know, a pig farmer or, a, or a, you know, a trucking company or whatever it might be, they understand both and they want to merge both. And they, they then want to make their mark in the business as they're starting to get more, uh, uh, you know, more leadership in the company or even taking over the company. So the ability, but the ability to connect them with, with folks that are, are addressing some of those concerns that there's a lot of interest and a lot of excitement for it. 
you mentioned that next generation of the family business operators. And I've heard a few people mention that where that's kind of key. It might be the the sons or daughters or, you know, a, a cousin or someone that uh, has been a part of it, been around it. They know that side of the business, but they've also grown up with tech. And so uh, for them, it, it, it makes a lot of sense and it's something that it's not as uncomfortable or unfamiliar. Um, but, but kind of in, in the spirit of that next generation, going back, how did you originally get into technology? Because, um, you know, building building this out of South Bend, again, that's not another place like a lot of places, you know, in the Midwest that you think of building incredible venture capital firms and doing investment with Silicon Valley. So what was the path like for you personally? Sure. Uh, so I actually grew up in Wisconsin. I was, I was born, uh, uh, actually born in, born in Cincinnati, but moved to Milwaukee uh, when I was very young and and got started in kind of entrepreneurship early on. Uh, I, I bought my my first property uh, when I was 14, uh, a, run, a very rundown duplex in northern Wisconsin, and was able to you know fix it up and rent it out and you know pull some money out and buy a second and a third and um, got up to about 450 units uh, throughout high school and, and first year of college, uh, and that's less the tech side but more understanding you know the uh, more traditional industry of, of real estate and, and construction and uh, you know and property management. And it was a, a terrific experience and ended up selling those properties when I was in college and I had an education startup. Um, so I don't know if you know Scantron, uh, the you know multiple choice tests, oh, yeah. uh, you know, fill in the bubble, <laughs> machine graded. Uh, so it's really easy to cheat off of those. You know, you can just look at the person next to you and, and see all their answers. Uh, so actually, Chemical engineered this paper that lets you write normally. But if you look at it from an angle, it's completely black. Uh, so you can't cheat. Um, so licensed that to a company in in India and Dubai, and then and then moved to South Bend, and and was in a place where, you know, I didn't really again know anybody um, first moving there except for my wife, and and you know, was a bit uh, you know skeptical of, of moving to a city of a hundred thousand people, and and but made the most of the situation as much as I, as I could, and started meeting people in the community, and ended up falling in love with the area, and seeing the you know South Bend, although much larger than Columbus very much was a city on the rise that, you know, it fell in hard times in the last, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years since Studebaker left. And it's only in the last few years with, you know, Notre Dame kind of going outside their borders. And then you had Mayor Pete, you know, uh, really kind of uh, coming up within South Bend. And I, I wanted to get involved and, and help the community as, as much as I could and felt that my connections out on the coast could play a role in that. So really started the fund in large part to be able to help bring technology companies that are started around the country to South Bend to help create new jobs here to say, hey, if you're a technology company in, you know, pick a city in Boston, but your customers are all in South Bend, you should have an office in South Bend. Not because of any other reason other than your customers are here. So really started uh, started it to to you know on the in large part on the economic development front. As you were starting that, was it tougher to convince the venture capitalists to come to places like South Bend and Indiana and the Midwest, or was it tougher to get the family-owned businesses or the manufacturing, those types of companies that are in the Midwest to talk with technologists and innovators and startups in like places like Silicon Valley? That's a good question. It's surprisingly harder for the family businesses too. Uh, I think for whatever reason right now, it's sort of 
fashionable to for to people on the coast to come to the Midwest that it they feel like they're you know seeing the the rest of the country. I mean, the fact that it's called Rise of the Rest right. is uh, uh, you know so they or or the the uh, the RV tours that have gone gone through or the safari tours or it, it's sort of a you know, the chance to see the rest of the country uh, that's been kind of popular the last couple of years. So um, the fact that you know we're able to you know set things up for for VCs that are coming from the West Coast to to experience what's happening in the Midwest, um, that there's a lot of interest in that, and I think for good reason. Because again, at the end of the day, if you're a uh, you know manu- if you're investing in manufacturing tech out in the Bay Area, your customers in large part are in the Midwest, and you know if you're spending most of your time or all of your time on the coast, some of these folks have never even been to the Midwest. It becomes difficult to understand the actual users of the technology that you're working with. Um, so to be able to uh, uh, you provide some context and, and, and again, connect those groups, connect the, the, the people from the line employees up to the owners of these companies with the people that are investing in and designing this new technology leads to a lot of very interesting conversations. For the family offices, though, family offices are quiet and they're, and they're private already and uh, very community-oriented. So saying that we're going to be bringing in people from you know, outside of the community just have very different different backgrounds can can be a bit of a barrier, but I think at the end of the day, again, their incentives are very much aligned because both want development within their industry. They both want technological advancement in manufacturing and logistics. So I think as lo- once we we get that conversation to happen, uh, things start to flow. What's a day in the life of a venture capitalist? And so, like, what do you what do you spend your time doing? And maybe you want to walk through an example of like a recent day, and I'm and I'm sure. You know, every day is probably different. There's probably a million different things, but I think that's kind of what makes it so interesting because in traditional venture capital, at least you're investing for a really, you know, you have that time horizon because these are startups that are going to have to take time and grow and scale. At the same time, you're coming across new technology and learning new technology and meeting new people. So for you, what's a day in the life like? Yeah, and, and that's true. But I think the best part of the job is that you get to meet passionate people you know, kind of across the board and in, in every interaction. So and a typical day for me is, you know, it's split really between meeting with startup founders who, again, are incredibly passionate and are you know, dedicating their life to, to solving a certain problem or, or building something that they truly believe in and putting a lot in the line to be able to do that and, and hearing their story and, and their passion and their and their vision for the future. That's a, a large part of the day. And, and I think for most venture capitalists and, and the other part for me it, that that's kind of different for for, for us and in our model is that we spend a large amount of our time actually meeting with with our investors who are the business owners in the Midwest. So touring manufacturing facilities, um, you know, talking with you know the head of HR, the head of operations at a trucking company to hear okay what, what problems are you seeing, what opportunities do you see, uh, to really be able to hear you know their for, for the 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 perspective from someone who's been doing it their their entire life, mm-hmm. uh, and then we we pair the two and probably the, the other side of, our, of my day would be actually matching the two, matching the head of HR at a logistics company with maybe one of the startups I talked to earlier in the day who is trying to change the way we hire hourly employees and, and having that conversation and, and seeing what comes of it. And again, from our perspective, if, if they have that conversation and both in, in the manufacturer or the uh, trucking company says, this is incredible. This is something that's going to solve, you know, XYZ problem. We're going to be able to hire so much faster than, you know, me as the observer is saying, okay, this becomes a great investment opportunity. 
One last question before we go into the the kind of towards the end of the show and some of our quick questions. But what does Heartland Ventures look like five years from now? What we've really been working on the last couple of years is, is building this this community of uh, kind of industry leaders in, in the region. Again, the, the owners of these manufacturing uh, companies, logistics, uh, the, sometimes the next generation of business owner that's coming through that's looking for new technology to, to advance their business. Uh, we want to bring those folks together. Uh, that provides them with really a voice that allows them to you know, communicate what they need to the coast as opposed to just being kind of the, the receiver of, of technology to, to allow them to take part in the, in the development of this new technology. So five years in the future, we're going to, we're continuing to grow that, building a larger base of, of aggregating, again, all the secondary and tertiary markets uh, in the Midwest of, you know, these, these business owners and identifying what they need and communicating that to the coast. Hmm, that's great. Thank you for sharing. Um, we'll now go into our quick questions as, as we start to wrap up our time. Uh, we ask these for all of our guests and it's fun to get different perspectives and different answers from people in venture capital to startup founders, to people working in tech and, and large big co's and people at universities and working on the education component of, of kind of that next generation of, of tech focused leaders in our state. So first one is what's a challenge you're working to solve. This could be something, uh, incredibly big and it could be the, the connecting of, of these two worlds, or it could be something very specific of like, Hey, right now we have this challenge and we're working to solve it. Uh, and this is how we're doing it. It's scale. It's fa- identifying the, the different ways to scale. As I was mentioning, we, we know how to connect on a, on a one-to-one basis, the, yeah. the folks that are on the coast with the folks in the Midwest, but how do you double or triple or, or 10 X the, the, sc- the scale of what you're doing? And, and sometimes that means changing how you do it from you, know, you as an individual making those connections to whether it's the software, whether it's a team, changing the process without changing the outcome uh, is is something that I think any company struggles with, and something that you know we're where we're you know certainly thinking about that a lot now. Yeah, scale scale is a great answer because I, <laughs> I I I think anyone that's building something, uh, whatever it is, scales among the toughest because. You probably at some level have, you know, you have had success, you've done something well, but being able to take it from one to five to 10 is, is really tough, especially when it's that, that community building or the, just those one-to-one, which it sounds like you've, you've done incredibly well with of connecting people, but how do you do it at scale when you're only one person and you can't, you can't clone yourself and be on two, two manufacturing floors at the same time or talking with two startup founders at the same time. So scale is a great answer. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Question two. One way to go, but thanks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, What's a favorite read, listen, or watch? So this could be a book, a podcast, or a show. Uh, maybe it's something that you are into now or something that you revisit once a year. One that I recently started getting back to that I listened to for a long time and, and stopped and realized still pretty great is 20 minute VC. I'm sure it's been said on here before, but it's just concise, well edited, you know, very uh, consumable uh, to be able to to hear from, you know, emerging fund managers or or startup founders that you know, especially when it's impossible to get out to the Bay Area, you know, it provides an opportunity to hear their perspective. Yeah. And and I, I always love that uh, Harry's just so friendly and like, he just has such a good like conversational voice to him that 
uh, I listened to him and I was like, oh, wow, I, I wish I talked like that because he just, he seems so upbeat and nice and just like, you can't help but want to like him. You just need the accent. That's it. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Uh, so, so, and for those that aren't familiar, he's a, uh, he's a younger guy, probably in his twenties at, at this point, uh, that started this 20 minute VC had no background or experience, at least to my understanding in venture capital, um, and has used it to talk with some of the best venture capital, some of the best startup founders in the world. And he's become a venture capitalist himself where he's built this massive podcast. So 20 minute VCs is, is, is a great listen, especially if you're interested in, um, like he was, I think he started it to learn about it and, and to build his way into it. So it's, it's a really cool one. Um, third question, Max is what's a problem you'd solve or one business you would start if funding was no issue. So you had a hundred million dollar pre-seed round access to all the, uh, all the experts, anything you needed, what would you start? <laughs> uh, well, my, my background's in, you know, real estate originally. And, and, you know, big thing now is, um, uh, you know, either modular construction or, or, you know, prefab. And what, what we've seen recently is that the pricing just still isn't competitive. Um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of changes in the construction space and how buildings are, have been built in, in many, many decades. Uh, and the new technologies that are coming about are still so much more expensive. Um, but there are ways to be able to reduce the cost. And we're starting to see some of those emerge. And, and the ones that do uh, could, could be, you know, massive companies that could, significantly reduce the cost and, and timeline to be able to, to build buildings. And, and uh, once that happens, once it's a, you know, a cost parity or, or you can, or you can actually have it be less expensive, you're going to, I think, start seeing the whole market change, the whole construction development market change. And obviously that creates a ton of opportunity for uh, whoever's doing that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, n- now's a perfect time for something like this because the real estate market and home prices are, absolutely incredible and i've i you know like a lot of people i'll go on like zillow and just like look around to see what what's out there from time to time and it's just amazing and and i know this is everywhere but you and i both live in columbus to just see one how prices have just increased over the past year or so and then two just everything seems to be under contract and i, <laughs> I don't know how that changes in the in the short term it, it's competitive, but but another thing that that's going to contribute to that in the long run is is lack of of labor. It, and we're seeing that in the manufacturing space and a lot of other industries. But a, a lot of the the skilled labor in, in these spaces are, are aging out, and, and new people aren't coming into the into the field. And we've been hearing that for a long time, but but now it's really becoming an issue because now you have a decade or two decades of, of folks that are, that are aging out with only a fraction that are coming in, and that's just going to decrease the the supply of of labor. And if you're trying to, you know, build a house, you know, it's impossible to find contractors. And again, you're co- going back to yeah. modular construction or, or prefab, it, it creates even more opportunity there if you can uh, not be reliant on, you know, local workforce. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because you hear, you know, as you read the news, you think of things like inflation and you hear about like the supply chain and lumber and all that type of stuff because of covid but then the the labor i mean that's a that's a that's a real thing and so um yeah it's going to be unfortunately i think an interesting (laughs) place to watch because hopefully uh hopefully some some new homes can come on the market it makes it a little bit affordable for for folks trying to trying to buy uh fourth and final one what's your favorite place in ohio oh uh i i have to say i just uh 
we just moved to German Village, and uh, I I gotta say, German Village that we're in. Uh, I, I love Columbus. I love you know the people people in the Midwest, and I think pairing that with kind of a, a neighborhood that has so much culture and character and local restaurants that aren't you know in just a big strip of commercial you know uh, commercial shopping centers and you know to be able to have still neighborhood bars and, and neighborhood restaurants that are all locally owned and on a brick street I think is just is so cool. Uh, and to see neighborhoods like that, you know, thriving in, in Ohio is, is so cool. And, uh, so I, I, I gotta say German village. Yeah, that's a good one. German village is it's for those not familiar. It's, uh, one of those little neighborhoods very close to downtown Columbus, which isn't as big as a downtown like Cincinnati or Cleveland, but, um, absolutely. Yeah. Brick homes, brick streets, a ton of great, you know, coffee shops and restaurants and bookstores and all that type of stuff. So that, that's, that's cool. And I, I, uh, uh, Christmas time, like the holidays are really nice with, uh, they have some like great, like, uh, like, what is it like the, the light walks or whatever, where people can go around and it's, it's just a cool part of town. You almost feel like you're, you know, in Europe or something like that, you know, with the name. So, um, that, that's a great place. So, uh, well, Max, this has been great. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for telling us about Heartland Ventures, what you're building and what you're up to. Uh, if people want to connect, learn more, how can they do that? Best way would be uh, go to our website and actually sign up for our newsletter. We, we're pretty diligent about um, you know, keeping folks up to date what we're doing and, and also posting opportunities for um, you know interesting positions that are coming about in our, our portfolio or, or as we're continuing to expand and thoughts that we're having on, on, uh, uh, you know, emerging trends. So, uh, best way would be, yeah, to go to our, our website and, and sign up. Great. Well, we'll link that in the, in the show notes. And so, uh, anyone who, you know, is listening at just one click over, just look in the Apple or, or Spotify show notes. Um, really easy to do so. Uh, Matt, Max, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. This has been a, a fantastic conversation and really interesting, um, to hear what, uh, you've built and and bringing it from out of state to to Ohio is, is really cool as well. So thank you so much for for joining and, and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.